0: or even hear something that causes us to exclaim, can you even imagine? In 1987, one such occasion in my life was when my family and I were traveling west to attend the seminary that I was about to enroll in. We would come across some of the most majestic sights that God has blessed this country to even have. We crossed the, the mighty Mississippi River and we're instantly drawn not to just the width of it, but to realize that at one time that mighty river was used in the expansion of our country as barges went up and down the river, bringing goods to certain outposts where individuals as they were crossing heading west could stop and replenish their goods. Then we stopped in South Dakota to a place called the Wall Drug. Instantly we were taken back. How many of you have ever been to Wall Drug? Amen. You are instantly taken back to Gunsmoke. The sidewalks are wood. The storefronts are just like they are in the show Gunsmoke. But we were amazed because while we were there, we learned that the wagon trains heading west would stop there and they would replenish their water supply that as the water came out of the ground, the water was still, even in 1987, was still only 35 degrees and it's the freshest, cleanest water you've ever tasted. You can also get a buffalo burger there if you want to spend $8.95. But anyway, (laughs) it was a good place to be. We were amazed. And then we went to the Mount Rushmore monument and stood there and recognized the faces of the four presidents that are highlighted there our children, though, were young. And as we left Mount Rushmore, you know, look, kids, this isn't this wonderful. Yeah, sure, Dad, okay. But as we left, we drove around the back behind Mount Rushmore, and there was a mountain goat. And our kids got more excited about that <laughs> than all of the wonderings of Mount Rushmore but we stopped at a place called the Crazy Horse Monument. At the time in 1987, all you had there was a a little building that you could go into, and and there they had a, a model of what was happening. It's a monument that even now over the next number of years is being developed into a monument highlighting the Sioux Indian tribe leader known as Crazy Horse. I've done some research to remind myself that in 1946, two men came together to try to determine what they could do to honor this individual known as Crazy Horse. One was Lakota Sioux Indian Nation uh, leader at the time who was known as Standing Bear. The other individual was the sculptor named Korsak Zilakowi. No, Z-I-O-L-K-O-W-S-K-I. Now you go ahead and try to pronounce it yourself. They drew up plans. They drew up a drawing as to what they wanted. And in 1948, the first dynamite was lit. And from 1948 to 1980, an individual, Zorkak, it was his passion to continue to build. It wasn't finished. He died in 1980 and his family, has taken up the gauntlet to continue to finish this particular monument. When it is finished, it will be the largest stone-made image in the world. What's amazing is that the head alone of Crazy Horse is 87 feet tall. Compared to the heads of Mount Rushmore, the president heads are only 60 feet each. When it is fully completed, as Crazy Horse is pointing, by the way, his finger alone is going to be 26 feet long. There will be a cavern underneath his arm that will be 70 feet wide and 100 feet tall. The horse's nostril, this is amazing, the horse's nostril will be 26 feet in diameter alone. Its ear will be 56 feet tall. When we were there, all that we could see in 1987 was an outline painting on this mountain of what it was going to be. And I stood there and I said, can you even imagine that? One man, one family, no government help, private donations, tours that you had to pay for is what's happening to create this monument. Can you even begin to imagine? I'm hoping that one day I'll be able to get back there. I'd like to see how far it's come from 1987 to 2023. And I think I'm gonna get my opportunity, Lord willing, this year. Our granddaughter, who was stationed in Biloxi, Mississippi, in the Air Force, is being assigned to Idaho, just south of Boise, Idaho. Guess what's on the way to Idaho? (laughs) South Dakota? Crazy Horse Monument. I can't wait. Lord willing, we'll see what he has. But this morning, I, want, I would like to take you back to allow our souls and, the, and our spirits to ponder the wonder that we just read about in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. Declares some of the most magnificent truths concerning Jesus Christ. And maybe just maybe you will stand amazed at the wonder, not staring at a piece of a mountain, but staring in the eyes of the Savior that loves us. The previous argument of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews sets forth the truth that Jesus Christ (laughs) is far superior than the angels. But what that has done is it has created a question. And the question at the time that the individuals were wrestling with as this particular book was written is this, how can Jesus be greater than the angels? Because he's taken on a human body which angels don't have that doesn't prevent them or limit them in what they can do. There are three truths from verse 5 to verse 18 I wish to share with you that answers that question which literally proves that Jesus is even greater than any human being you can think of. First one is this. The reason Jesus Christ came to dwell amongst men is recorded for us in Romans chapter 5. He has become the last Adam. In chapter 5, there is this glorious depiction going back and forth as the Apostle Paul writes concerning Adam and then concerning Jesus. He calls him the first Adam, then he calls him the last Adam in Jesus Christ. Where sin entered the world through the first Adam, therefore death came about because of the first Adam. But in this last Adam, we have forgiveness and new life. Jesus Christ came to this earth to be that last Adam. It's recorded for us in in verses 5 to verse 13 in Hebrews chapter 2. But nowhere in the Bible, when you come to verse 5, it's an interesting statement because it says, we're not talking about angels now. Because angels are not going to inherit the earth the world it's not for them and so nowhere in the Bible does God promise the angels that they will ever rule the earth but after Satan or after Adam uh, well after Satan rebelled in heaven he took a host of fallen angels with him then God created humans, mankind. And you have to ask yourself the question, why did God create man? I found an interesting uh, answer to that question in my study when one individual said this, The reason God made man was to demonstrate what God could do with less when less is dependent on him than he can do with more when more is in rebellion against him. He created man in order to show all of the angelic host that God can do more with less If they'll depend on him, then do with more who won't follow him. Well, in verses um, 6 down to verse 8, the writer says, But someone somewhere has testified. You got to go back to Psalm 8 to put this in context because the writer of psalm that particular psalm 8 David is writing and he's talking about mankind when he refers to them as being uh, made lower than the angels but also what David maybe not at that time was thinking but he's also referring to later on as a poet, if you will, a prophetic meaning that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was also going to be made lower than the angels for a short while. Well, what does that mean? Well, the problem is this. The first Adam failed and literally handed over the authority to Satan. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where, where do you get that, Pastor? What, what are you talking about? Go back, put a 20 thing like that there, and go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're just going to spend a few moments here Because what you need to know is what happened in the garden which then Jesus came to rectify. Genesis chapter 2. From chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 3. The name of God is listed as Elohim, meaning creator God. It's also the plural form of God. When in verse 2, let us make man in our image. Let us. But when you get to chapter 2 in verse 4, the name of God is changed. Now it is referred to as Lord God, Lord, capital letters, Lord God, which literally means master, ruler of all that there is. And from the rest of chapter two, all the way over to the beginning of chapter three, God is is designed himself and also has presented himself as the master. Lord Yahweh is this translation we presently call it Jehovah but literally it's Yahweh it's what God told Moses in Genesis chapter 3 when Moses asked him when I go to the nation of Israel and tell them who sent me Who should I say sent me? And the Lord God there said, tell them I am that I am. That is my name, and that name is L-O-R-D, Yahweh, Master of All. But when you get to chapter 3, you will notice that all of a sudden the serpent does something. He removes the name Lord and just says, has God said? Not master, but just plain old God. Did he say? Through that particular exchange, and you know what happens in this particular historical account that is truth, all of a sudden, two things come into being. Number one, God with Adam and Eve fellowship ceased. The Lord God no longer walked with them in the garden. Sin, number two, entered the world. And the condemnation of sin recorded in chapter 2, verse 10, and here in chapter 3, verse 17, is this, in the day that you eat of it, you will die. You'll die. In that exchange, the authority that God gave to mankind, they were to rule and subdue the earth. They were to procreate and fill the earth. And in this exchange of Genesis chapter 2 and 3, that was handed over to Satan. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, if you go to Matthew chapter 4, one of the things that Satan said to Jesus in tempting him was this. You see all of this? This is all mine. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, now if you go back to uh, Hebrews chapter two. In Genesis chapter three, Satan sought to reduce God's rulership over humankind by beginning with the subtle but effective of his name. In doing so, Satan kept the concept of religion while eliminating divine authority. And I I know this may seem wordy, but it's it's important to know how it relates to our passage here in Hebrews. By removing Lord, L-O-R-D, from the authoritative nature and relationship between God and Adam and Eve, Satan not only caused humankind to rebel, but he also took over the dominion that man was supposed to be exercising under God's authority. That's why in verse 8 when the phrase says that why, that's we do not yet see everything subjected to man because we're not in authority. But verse 9. But we see who, everybody? Jesus. Oh, that's weak. But we see who? Jesus. Oh, you're almost awake now. But we see? Jesus. What man could not do. Jesus came to undo. He came to be the last Adam. Reminds us in the text that Jesus is the one who temporarily, yes, became lower than the angels to reconcile heaven and earth. Reconcile means to restore a previous relationship. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. In reconciliation, it means the sheep and the creator are brought back to a relationship that can be restored through Jesus Christ. Not only did that happen, but he he also became the propitiation for our sin. First John chapter two, verses one and two, the propitiation for our sin, not only our sin, but for the sins of the whole world. Meaning that Jesus Christ satisfied the total righteousness of God by presenting himself through suffering on the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. And in that, Jesus came to taste death for everyone and was crowned with glory and honor, and the Son of God became man and won the victory over Satan and sin through his obedience, his sacrificial death, And his resurrection. Can you even begin to imagine that? How God can become flesh. How is it that that can even begin to happen? Forget the crazy horse monument. Look to the cross of Calvary and tell me you understand all of it. Can't begin to imagine. It's amazing. But yet, he's greater. The second thing, and this ought to get a hallelujah out of somebody, he came to defeat the devil. <laughs> ah. Any of you been bothered by our enemy this week? Can I see a hand, please? <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine one day it's gone? It's gone, wiped out. Oh, but we don't really have to wait for that day because notice what it says in verses 14 to verse 16. Let me just remind you of a couple of things. Death and fear of death were consequences of Adam's sin. We have that. The fear of death has been Satan's strongest weapon. Even though Satan doesn't have the authority over death, he has might over sinners and darkness. In, in Luke chapter 22, verse 53, Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. And he begins to talk about now he's beginning to enter the realm of darkness. He's referring to death. Yes, Satan has a 357 magnum, but I'm telling you, it's empty chambered. All he can do is threaten us. He can't do a thing to us. Satan seized this might of death to get control over God's creatures. But by Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, Christ destroyed his power and thus delivered those who were in bondage because of fear of death. Christ had to have a human body in order to die and defeat Satan. Satan. And in verse 16, the writer makes it clear that Christ did not take on himself the nature of angels, but rather the seed of Abraham. In other words, Christ did not become an angel, he became man. Because Christ didn't come to die for the angels, he came to die for us. A third thing. A third thing. Verses 17 to 18, he has become a sympathetic high priest. A sympathetic high priest. God knew something about us, He knew that we were going to need a sympathetic high priest to help us in our weaknesses. God permitted his son to suffer and through his suffering God equipped Jesus Christ for his priestly ministry. Christ's person needed no perfecting since he is God but as God man he endured suffering to prepare himself to meet our needs. He became flesh in Bethlehem, Luke chapter 2. He was made like unto his brethren during his earthly life, John 1:14, where it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. And he was made sin at the cross of Calvary, 2 Corinthians 5:21. He who knew no sin. Became sin for us. Now. Jesus Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest. Upon whom we can depend. In your translation you have. You may have the word which it says. And he is able to secure. That literally means. It's a wonderful medical term. It means this is that he can run to you when he's called. It's a reference to doctors. Doctors. Christ runs to our aid when we call for him. He literally felt your pain. He literally understands your troubles because he himself went through them. Can you even begin to imagine the pain, physical pain of the cross? Can you even begin to imagine the spiritual pain of the Father Turning his face away, for he cannot look on sin. Can you even begin to imagine how it is that God died? How does that happen? How does it happen? <coughs> Jesus Christ, the God man, died. For our sin. But Sunday came, and He arose. You want to know why Jesus Christ is greater than the angels? Is because He took on the form of a man that God had destined to have authority over this earth. And Jesus demonstrated that. Let me give you some examples. He's in a boat asleep. Disciple, don't you care? He gets up, peace, be still. He takes a little boy's lunch few fish and some breads barley breads and he feeds 15000 with 12 baskets left over he turns water to wine those who have died he raises and those who have no hope he touches those who are ostracized, he brings into fellowship. Why is he greater than the angels? Because none of them can do that. He demonstrated to mankind and to the angelic host, and let me tell you something, he even spit in the face of Satan when he said, it is finished. Yes. Is Jesus worth following. Even in your darkest days. Yes. Because he's greater than anything. Let's pray. We can't even begin to imagine, oh God, the full impact of this passage because we're hampered by sin. Yes, we are the bearers of your image. We we know that. We're created in your image. But we have this, this life that lives within us called the old nature that hinders us from seeing things quite clearly. Can't begin to imagine the impact of all that is listed here, but we do believe it because the just live by faith. Just because we can't see it. We believe it to be true. That our Savior is superior to all of the angelic hosts. He is superior to any human being that walks this earth, no matter what position they think they hold. It is Jesus Christ who is greater. May we, O Lord, here at Grace Community Church in these dark days May we even come to the place where we can start to see how great you are. And then share that with individuals who need hope. Who need support. Who need some kind of an answer to the darkness of life. That we can tell them about the light of the world. So God, thank you. Thank you for this powerful book known as Hebrews. And for what it has to say to us in the days ahead. Oh Lord, I don't know if I can even begin to imagine. But to your glory and your honor, we ask these things. Amen. Let us please stand for the benediction.